Now it's True Wealth presented by Little John Financial Services. Here is David Littlejohn with True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. All right, gang, it is that time of the week. It is an official Tunday because holiday weekend, of course. Uh, you are listening to the True Wealth Show. I'm your host, Dave Littlejohn. It's the best Tuesday I've had all week. With and Matt Dixon. Matt, how you doing? I'm here. I'm doing great, David. Doing great. It's so, been a while since we've had a Tunday. It's been a while. And remind our listeners, what's a Tunday? It's where you get to play hooky on Monday, and then you show up and start your week on a Tuesday, and it feels like a Monday, but it's not. It's a Tuesday. Right, and you got to get twice as much done to catch up, so you yeah. do a ton. So if you if you had, you like how breakfast and lunch becomes brunch? No, so David, Tuesday no. and Monday could have been um, a Muse Day, but that sounds all delightful. It's not. It's always full and It's crazy. hectic, and it throws so, you out of... Oh, it's like you get out of balance, right? Yeah, and so it is a ton day. And ton days are interesting uh, for markets, too. Like, I've not talked about this a ton, but what's interesting about... And I don't have any data to support this other than the, you know, this is when you start to sound old on the radio. It's like, in my 22 years of doing this. Right? <laughs> so I just need to get you the hat to go with that voice. So what happens is when the markets have a shortened week like this, the same thing occurs is that they tend to compress five days of volatility into a four-day period. Mm -hmm. And this has just been my observation over the years is that you get – uh, a lot more aggressive moves in the market in four-day weeks. How this, did we do today? I was so busy with stuff, I didn't so get to watch it much. So we finished down across the board. It was it was risk-off, so the Russell 2000s down just shy of 1%. NASDAQ was down about three-quarters of a percent, and the Dow is down a little over half a percent. S&P was 0.41. Okay. So a general negative trend, um, middle of the day, so it opened low, kind of fought back up in the morning, and then sort of faded through the afternoon. And a lot of people would say, like, oh, my gosh, you know, it's we're, it's all going to come unhinged. It's, it's the end of whatever. I don't buy it. I think that what you are seeing, and I've, I've had this theory for a long time, is any way you slice it, summer has a, is over, right? Yep. Everybody's back in school post-Labor Day. All the parents, you're all done with vacation. It's back to real life. And so the, the only people that are on vacation, the ones right now going, well, I'm retired. Every day is a Saturday. And I go, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, that's great. I'm glad that you are. And, 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 but still, for the vast majority of the working population, um, it feels like there's, fall. there's not going to be vacation for a while. You know, it's back in school. It's back into sports, the routine. It's, it's literally a season where stress levels amp up more. And so you're going to just see for a little while, uh, and I expect you'll see September's historically the worst month in the market. Mm -hmm. uh, I am going to make a bold, random guess right now. Total swag, right? Okay. We all know so you know what swag is, right? Mm -hmm. Scientific, wild-ass guess. Okay. And that I think September's going to end up being a positive month. I agree with that. Right. And I think it's going to buck a lot of trends. I think 2022 has been fairly non-conforming. And I also think the market has clawed a lot of things forward. So a lot of bad news, in my opinion, has gotten priced in pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. And it's evidenced by when you look for bad things in the marketplace right now, you just don't have as, as aggressive a move. Uh, we did see the last three weeks have been down after having a really good 
um, yeah, we had a good stretch run. for like July and into August was really, really strong. But the last three weeks have been negative. Uh, we saw the last two, uh, well, I guess the last 14, 15 trading days, you know, we've seen some of the, the darlings out there. Like, the, you know, when Microsoft falls like 10, 12% in 15 trading days. Yeah. And, and I, I continue to say this is not a recommendation for Microsoft, by the way. Um, although I will say for, for fair and full disclosure, that is a position that we own in some of our customer portfolios mm-hmm. and some of our models is we own Microsoft. But, so I'm not, but I'm not advocating that you go buy that. I'm just telling you that, you know, for disclosure's sake. But Microsoft, in my opinion, it's the operating system of the United States, right? Like yeah. The, the government's operating system, it operates on PC. The vast majority of business computing takes place in the PC environment. There's a handful of custom environments out there, but you know I chuckle. Uh, and and by the way, I also love Costco, which we own. Not a recommendation, but when you go to the customer service desk, and you see them running some bizarre DOS program underneath the hood, and you're like, why is that all text? Right? Mm-hmm. I am pretty sure that's a DOS program, which is a PC program, a predecessor to Windows and Microsoft. <laughs> I don't think it's some. Linux or Unix variant out there. I think it is Windows. I don't know for certain, so maybe I'm mistaken. But Microsoft is the operating system of this country. And it's down like from its highs like 30%. Yeah. That's so, I mean, do you feel like Microsoft is worth as a company 30% less? So, that you know, that's the crazy thing. Well, what a great question, right? Yeah. And by the way, um we're taking questions today. If you've got a question, this is kind of an ask me anything. We're, we've got some, some ground we'll cover today, but feel free to give us a call at the station here. If you've got a question that you want to posit, give us a shout, 541-673-4464, and we will get you on air and field your questions. It's always fun. And, um, and those of, there are those of you that can stump me, by the way. It's, it happens on air. So uh, we will try to screen you. And you're more likely to stump him because it's a ton day. Yes. So, anyway, back to what I've already... So, now I've already lost my train of thought. We were talking about Microsoft. It's down 30%, but is the company itself actually worth 30% less? Well, first I'm going to ask a different question of you, Matt. Yeah. Was the company previously worth 30% more? Mm. That's even... I think that's an even better question. It was at the time that people assumed its value was what it was. Sure. And then the question is, what changed that would have changed investors' opinions? I have a theory. I'm just going to go out on a limb here. So January hits, right? We're riding all-time highs. The market's setting a new high. And things change, right? Like we had uh, Russia invade Ukraine. We had the Fed hiking rates. And it seemed like the market kind of caught a cold. And we saw companies across the boards falling and going down in price. And I look at it and say, what company wasn't really affected? I mean, obviously there are. There are companies out there that went up. But the bulk majority of companies fell when the markets fell. And so I'm looking at this and saying, well, Microsoft is a tech company predominantly, and tech as an entire sector went down when the markets went down. 
And so I think it was partly due to the fact that they got roped in with the sickness. Well, yeah, I would say that when the market goes down, there was the entire system was at risk for certain things. Mm-hmm. And remember, systemic risk is not something that you can diversify, right? Yeah. Like if everything goes down, your diversified portfolio is going down because that's everything. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't help you there. So here's and here's I think where people this is the gotcha of the whole thing, right? You, so many folks want to believe that um, owning an investment. Like they just get sort of you sneak into this mentality of well, I heard these people that if I could have just bought at the top, or, or rather you know sold at the top, mm-hmm. bought at the bottom, and you know it's going up and down. And well, why don't I just keep rinsing and repeating that? I'll just sell it at the top and buy it back cheaper again, and then sell it when it's higher, and then buy it back cheaper, and I'll just do that and make a bunch of money. To which I would say it sure sounds good. The question is just. How do you intend to do that? I know how you do it, David. How do you do it, man? You get a crystal ball and you right. look into the future you, and you then you can do it. You've got a gold against your soul <laughs> I think I'm better than you. Right? <laughs> uh, That's right. So, yeah, you, you, I guess you sell your soul to the devil and, mm-hmm. then, and then you get to see future stock. That's rates. right. Um, you get a DeLorean and oh. you build it and some plutonium, right? And now you time travel. There's another mechanism for it. Okay. Um, I do we sell DeLoreans at the office? Not yet. Crystal balls. Is there a market? Crystal balls. I'm sure that. I mean, you get anything on Alibaba. Oh, that's true. So, <laughs> Twenty five cents and free shipping. <laughs> so, yeah, it's obviously we don't have a reliable way to predict the future, and some people out there guess and then claim they predicted the future. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, and statistically, some people will guess correctly more than once. Yeah. What about? I mean, you were telling me a story about someone who was trading options on Bed Bath and Beyond earlier. Do you want to? Do you want to go into that at all? I don't know enough about it. I okay. just know that there was a like a twenty twenty year old or so who's a Stanford student, and evidently, without intentionally buying. Bed Bath and Beyond options before it turned into a meme meme stock, bought a pile of options and then the stock just went bananas, and he cashed out for close to a hundred million dollars. And people, you're saying people might look at that and be like, "Well, this guy's a genius." Maybe, but, you know, if you think but, about what that could look like, let's say, for example, that you bought options that were. $10 out of the money mm-hmm. on a stock that's trading for $2. Right. Well, that's not, it can't even happen. You can't, sorry, you can't do that. So in this case, you buy, well, you could. You could buy a stock and say, well, it's currently trading for $2. I think it's going to go over 12. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to buy an option to buy, <laughs> right? I will buy call options <laughs> dated six months from now or dated 12 months from now, where I expect Bed Bath & Beyond to be worth. Five hundred percent more than it is today. You could probably get those pretty cheap, because uh, you pick them up for three cents. Right. Right. Because it's almost assured that twelve months from now it will not be five hundred percent higher, and you're gonna this is gonna be expiring worthless. Right. Mm-hmm. So you pick them up for three cents, and then you buy the equivalent. And so remember, three cents you're, you're controlling like a, like a thousand. You're of controlling a hundred shares. 
with with three cents. And so you there it doesn't just cost three cents. It's gonna cost a little more than that, but but it's gonna be some stupid cheap deal. So you yeah. buy five thousand contracts at three cents a share. And so that's you know, you're into it for five hundred bucks and your transaction costs you put like a thousand bucks into it. Mm-hmm. And then Bed Bath and Beyond shoots up to twenty dollars a share. So you have five you've got five thousand hundred share options. You're now controlling fifty thousand shares. Am I doing that math right? I thought it was five hundred thousand, but okay, yeah. Okay, let's... so if there's a hundred shares per and you got five thousand yeah, you're you're controlling five hundred thousand yeah, shares. Five hundred thousand shares. Five hundred thousand shares that just went from to you're now in the money. Mm-hmm. Per contract, what you're you're twelve dollars in the money, mm-hmm. and then you go ahead and execute the, or, you know, you go ahead and sell the options out at twelve dollars in the money. <laughs> um, you would be controlling half half a million shares <laughs> at twelve dollars a share profit. Right. So you know you're you've made. Uh, Tons and tons and tons on, and so your 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 leverage return is insane, right? Yeah, your five hundred dollars yielded you, yeah, hundreds of millions of dollars. Anyway, that's just an interesting story to share, and everybody's like, "Well, yeah, let's totally do that." And I'm going, "Good. How do you do that? Yeah, how can you tell me what is the next stock that is going to become the internet darling mm-hmm. that will be enough of a darling that a bunch of people?" We'll pile in. Here's another question. How many times are you going to get it wrong before you ever even come close to getting it right? Oh, I think there's a question even beyond that. Okay. And I'll tell you the answer after Ah. this break. Okay. I'll give you a hint, though. It's not just about how many times you have to get it wrong. Mm. Stick around. We'll be right back. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. Got True Wealth on News Radio 93.9 FM and 1240 KQEN. All right, gang, welcome back to the True Well Show. Dave Littlejohn in studio. Matt Dixon. You have to say with. Uh, yeah. Here I am. You're yeah. with me. There we We've go. We've got this. Hey, we uh, did some um, internet recon, by the way, uh, during the break. This Stanford, or the, I guess it's a USC student, not Stanford, um, according to New York Post, uh, this is a, a young man that had created a company called Freeman Capital Management LLC and had raised money from family and friends. So he was um, acting as an investor on their behalf and bought, didn't use options, bought $25 million worth of the stock Jeez. in Bed Bath & Beyond with uh, this pot of money, then turned and um, purchased it thinking it would be a six-month play, owned 6% of the company, was then uh, writing to the board of directors, trying to encourage them to do some changes, and then it became a meme stock. Now, why did it become a meme stock? Probably partly because of the fact that this kid bought 6%. <laughs> uh, so I, it, I think it came down to, again, uh, short squeeze. Sure. Right? It looked like they had more stock shorted than was available for them to cover the shorts, and so people started buying it up, knowing that those that were the hedge funds that had shorted Bed Bath & Beyond were going to be in trouble, and mm. then the game was on. So it got AMC'd, or it got game stopped. Game stopped, right? So we've seen this behavior before in the last couple of years, where this has occasionally happened, and Bed Bath and Beyond is another example now. So very interesting to see how that played out, but uh, it did. So Imagine if it had gone the other way for him, right? The whole company would have been basically toast. 
would have been toast. Right. Like if you if you make a twenty five million dollar gamble on one position and it doesn't play out. And remember, like, we do only like to um, we only want to celebrate the wins. Yeah. Right. So that's the other issue is we just celebrate the wins. So we're not talking about the number of people that bet against it and got crippled. Right. So yeah. We're just saying, oh, well, this guy was a big winner. And I think that plays into my earlier idea that it, we're investors. You know, what's the other question? Right. You said, well, how 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 many, how many times, times they get it wrong? Mm-hmm. Or you said, you know, what about how many times they get it right? And I would say, well, even if you got it right, how many times can you find anything? They can go up by 500 plus percent in less than six months. Yeah. And how many, yeah. Can you replicate that? That's the issue is yeah. how is it replicatable? And because if you could, you would be a multi-trillionaire well, in if, a matter could, of a very short period of time. You would really need to not share it either. Every time you see an advertisement, mm-hmm. I've joked about this before. If you see an ad that says, hey, some kid cracked the code of the market and does this, that, and the other. And you can get it too by subscribing to our newsletter. I'm like, that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. What do they need your twenty to two hundred dollars or even your twelve hundred dollars subscription to something if they can print money? Why would they give you the secret? Right? Yeah. If I have a secret to printing money, I'm not giving it to you. If giving it to you means the secret stops working. Because that's what happens in markets, right? The more people find out about it the less it is an exploit because it just becomes the way right once it is once everybody knows it it's not special anymore yeah, the it's news just is out the way yeah so there you have it so anyway um all this to say that longer term uh, i i really wish that people there's some frankly there's some frustrating advice going on out there too that what else irks you, David? Well, it's not an irk thing. It's a, I think right now, this market in particular is trying to coax people into trading rather than investing. Mm. And I have heard this theme play out in a number of areas. And we were just talking about this before the program. Like, what is one of the most common mistakes that we see, Matt? Well, short term vision, where you get caught up in the moment, right? We've seen that so many yeah. times. I mean, how many people do you know that, you know, I, I think back to um, Dogecoin, right? Yep. Everyone was making money there for a little bit and it spread like wildfire and everyone just lost their mind. And they're like, well, I'm going to invest all my in- entire savings in this thing because everyone I know has made money. And it wasn't, it was something that they just kept making more of every single day. There was nothing tied to it. There was no real intrinsic value behind it of any sort. Mm-hmm. It was just this fad. And then people ended, I mean, yeah, some people made money, but a lot of people lost a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of people are still losing money. You know, yeah. we talked about this. So back in, it was probably all the way back in like 2017, maybe it was 2018. I remember people asking me if Bitcoin was a good investment. Mm-hmm. It was trading at around $17,500 at the time. Wow, that's a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. But But guess where Bitcoin is right now? I have not checked Bitcoin in over a month, but if I had to guess, I'd say 18. 189. Oh, really? $18,890. Day so it's day again. Yeah, and it got as high as what? I mean, it, it got was, up into the 60s, almost 70,000. Mhm. The high water mark if I'm looking right 
let's see, from a year ago, it looks like it peaked out at 67.5 or so. And that's, yeah, 60, over 60, over 67 was the peak. And so it's, and that was in November of 21. So when the market was peaking, Bitcoin peaked way up there. It's now fallen from 67 to below 20. That's such a huge loss for it's the people. It's a huge loss. That... It absolutely helps to frame what was it Warren, the bubble market kind of looks like. Was it Warren Buffett that gave the advice, invest in things you understand and that you know? Sure. Well, was I mean, it Dave Littlejohn that said, I feel like there's not something underneath this other than people wanting it? Exactly. And people want it as long as it makes them money. Mm-hmm. If it's it, not making you money, why do people yeah. want it? I, I've, I, I said for a long time, and, and it's probably on air somewhere too, that the problem with Bitcoin is it can't defend itself. Nope. Right? And so you could see this right now. I'm, and when I say it can't defend itself, I mean like a fiat currency, love it or hate it, uh, there's governments with militaries that can defend the currency. Yeah, like if literally. China says we no longer allow Bitcoin to be traded and we're going to take you out behind the woodshed if you do. People yeah. are going to probably quit investing and in they, it in China. They have essentially, it, yeah. So if you own stuff, if you're Chinese and own Bitcoin, you own it offshore, mm-hmm. right? And you spend it offshore. It doesn't come back into China. And if they find that you're spending it at all, yeah, the, the problem, right? Big time. So, you know, and then you had other people try to legitimize it. And they said, well, like you know, Venezuela is now just going to use Bitcoin or whatever it is. And mm-hmm. you go, huh, how? Well, yeah, that they don't. They have a destabilized government, right? Right, and and they're collapsing on their own, right? Sort of like if Cuba said, "Well, let's use Bitcoin," I'm gonna go. I don't think it's gonna help because you're still Cuba right now, and you don't have anything to export except for maybe doctors. Yeah. So, which good doctors? Um, <laughs> I know. Cigars, the, 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 cigars, the, and doctors. Yeah. I the the point here is that I think investors oftentimes there it's very easy to get sucked into this trading mentality right now mm-hmm. what's hot in the moment not what's yeah. going to be hot a year or oh, two from even now. hot short term i mean i i have people that tell me that well you know i think right now this is just how the market works and so you have to play it this way and you know my time horizon is measured in weeks or months and i look at that and think, that's a scary thing to say this is how the market works right now because i mean i feel like the market has some general rules and guidelines that it follows year after year in and out and it seems so all or nothing Mm -hmm. the the very successful investors that i know and study they simply change how hard they lean into something Mm -hmm. you know it's not like if somebody believes in tesla then you know maybe you have a material state maybe maybe 20 percent of your net worth is in tesla but if it's going through a, a phase where you expect headwinds, you may reduce that to 15. And then the price declines while you still own it. And then you take and you buy it back lower and then you go back up to 20%. Right. And that to me is just how, how much of an allocation do you have in different environments? You don't stop owning Tesla. You just don't own all of it all the time. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, otherwise... If, if, if you want a real-life example of that, look at the chart of how Elon Musk's net worth has changed. It doesn't just go up, right? It goes up and it goes down as Tesla stock goes up again. Oh, yeah. Right? And so the contest between him and Jeff Bezos is kind of 
funny to watch. It's like, well, if Amazon gets on a hot streak and Tesla doesn't, then they can crisscross. Mm. And then they want to build statues for, toward each other to, you know, be silly billionaires. I guess it's a different kind of problem. I don't have silly billionaire problems. <laughs> so anyway, uh, so my takeaway from the first segment is don't let the market sucker you into coming off of your strategy. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I want to talk a little bit about strategy here and the concept of the big rocks. Right. Okay. Because they rock. But big rock strategy. Big rock strategy. Halfway point, they tell us we have to take an evil profit. Okay. All right. So we'll do that. Evil profit break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about rocks. Only there, it's a metaphor for other stuff. You'll okay. want to hear it. All right. Stick around. This is Dave Little John. And Matt Dixon. You got True Wealth on News Radio 93.9 FM and 1240 KQEN. Hey, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show, where the time is flying on a Tunday. Mm, where did we leave listeners at? Big rocks. Big rocks. What does it mean, David? I'm so curious where you're, you're going with curious. these. You're not curious. You know what it means. We talk about this in the office, it's too. True. It's the old, uh, like, is it How do you parable? Fill up? It's, it's a yeah. story, right? But you can really test this at home, right? So go get yourself a jar, and you get a pile of things, right? I've heard the story told many different ways, but it's a time management story. Mm-hmm. And the time management story says, if you want to put as much in the jar as possible, and you've got big rocks, small rocks, and sand, and water. You should okay? fill it up first with sand and then try and jam the big rocks in there. Right, and they just won't fit. And uh. that's the idea that if you do all the little stuff that's not important first, you're not going to get to it. So the idea first is, you put the big rocks in the jar. Then you put the small pebbles in and keep shaking them so they pack in all the extra space. And then you put the sand in and you keep doing the same thing and it packs in all the space. And I like this analogy with the sand. And then what you do is you crack open a couple of beers and pour it in there because if, if, you're, if your process doesn't leave time for a couple of beers, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> right? uh, and, and that's metaphorical, right? I'm really not advocating that you go become an alcoholic. That's not the <laughs> point. I'm just saying that you need a little bit of fun built in there, and it's a good illustration. So we can work with that. I think investing works that way. You have to start with your philosophical big rocks of how you're going to do things. Like, stop trying, for, for, for the vast, vast, vast majority of people out there, stop trying to put a little bit of money in and then just think if I can spend enough time, somehow I can trade this little money into a fortune. And you forget about the number one biggest asset that you have working for you. And that is your ability to earn. Mm-hmm. Right. So people take their eye off the ball all the time and they focus on the wrong details and their distractions. Investing is not trading, right? Right. Go out there and increase your earning capacity, make good financial decisions, and around those good financial decisions, do things like buy the right insurance and don't spend more than you make, buy more assets than liabilities, stick to a budget, right? Grow your skill set and become more valuable to your employer or your business and your revenue will increase. And as your revenue increases, you will increase the amount of discretionary cash flow that you have. And that discretionary cash flow can be used to invest. And you can get your investments to grow, which we absolutely need to do, but you should also be contributing to those investments to grow them. Mm -hmm. That is a huge part 
of what makes things work because it's the monthly regular contributions that help smooth out the bumps in the market. Right. Kind of buying it at all the different points. It's all the different points. And so what's the big philosophy, right? Spend less than you make. It's a huge one. Right? Mm -hmm. Don't pay more to the government than is required. Yep. Okay. That's a huge one. Don't buy liabilities with borrowed money. Ooh, that's a big one. That is, I mean, you just summed up like America's problem in general. Uh, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, I really want this $60,000 vehicle and the retirement account can wait. And you know what? I don't really have the down payment, but I do have a credit card. Yep. Yeah. And here's the thing. This is what people will say, too. Oh, the retirement plan can wait, right? Meaning it's possible. It's a decision that you're allowed to make. Mm -hmm. This is one of the problems with freedom is that. And this uh, is probably why Social Security and all these other programs have to exist. Yeah. The, the problem with freedom is that it protects dumb. Mm-hmm. Okay? But I'm unwilling to sacrifice that. I will allow you the right to make stupid decisions. Where I'll draw the line is I hate it when your stupid decisions hurt others. And that's where we run into this problem that it's really obvious when you try to you know you have the freedom to punch somebody until you make contact with them right you have freedom to take a swing but they have the freedom to not get hit that's the issue here i realize some people deserve it uh, you're out there going yeah they probably deserve this they might have right i'm not <laughs> saying that never happens but i'm still saying that's that's where we define freedom here mm -hmm. the, but but what do you do when you got a long-term issue like that it's like well you have the freedom to make terrible financial decisions now but if the idea is that you're going to develop a lifetime of bad habits and then think someday it's unfair and somebody else should bail you out, while meanwhile somebody else makes other decisions and so they sacrifice now and they don't get the $60,000 truck and all the other junk. Mm -hmm. And then later on in life when they can afford to do a lot of stuff, you're like, well, they're so lucky it's not fair. They should have to pay their fair share. Yeah, and that's like, the worst. Whoa, whoa. Fair share is not just how much it's when right because it's not fair to penalize people for making quality decisions mm -hmm. and that's where we're at right now i feel oh, like with this dude, country it's like so there you know what let's just keep jabbing the people that are making this thing spin yeah so fortunately our listeners again whether you're blog listening not blog i guess it's a podcast right so if you're checking this out on the podcast or if you're live on the radio right now maybe you got here by accident maybe it's got your wheel spinning but most of our listeners they're the smart ones the people that listen to this i don't worry about you most of y'all are out there making it work right making the good decisions you're the one kind of nodding your head going yeah i get kind of tired of getting hosed too but here's the thing we can't stop nope because we're going to keep getting hosed right <laughs> that's so the the best that we can do is a great example and then educate others. Now educate doesn't mean force either, mm -hmm. right? But it does mean that we, we have a, a bit of a cultural responsibility to help folks understand the, the, the results of their decisions, right? Mm. I am not without sympathy to some folks that 
didn't maybe they just don't know better when they're younger and so dumb things happen right i'm not completely heartless but i get that you know when you get cultural problems around hey you can just do whatever you want and it'll be okay cuz someday later right you, you can't have all grasshoppers and no ants <laughs> yep you will know no. <laughs> so well, anyway uh where am i going with this other than preachy well, I think a big part of what you just said and what I heard was when you get it, when it clicks, you got a little bit of a responsibility to go out there and educate people. Don't shove it down their throats, but bring some clarification to the subject because there's a lot of people that just don't know. Right. And that's one of the reasons why we have this show. Well, and the funny thing I would say, parents teach your kids, but here's the really wild one. Kids teach your parents. Mm. And... One of the toughest things out there is you just you can't enable the bad behavior. And certainly you can't justify it as saying, well, because it's always happened this way, we're just going to keep doing it that way. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, I think it was uh, Winston Churchill who made the quote famous when he said, no matter how far down the wrong path you go, turn back. Right. Right. How profound is that? Right. If you go the wrong way, turn back. And so there you go. Uh, let's get into the constructive stuff. Okay. We've got about, we got one more segment. It's like 15 minutes left where we can get into some of the goods to say, okay, so we've, we've, we tried to tell you why I think getting suckered into trading is going to make it really hard for you. Are we going to talk about why it pays to be a long-term investor? Well, is that where we're taking this? I'm not even going to sell long-term investing here. That's mm. not the point. Okay. I think we're going to talk about how do you develop anchor points as an investor so that you have a way to, mm. to like ensure the, that you're like, actually well to survive the storms, right? Oh, okay. In order to survive a storm, like the storms are going to come, how can you get anchored as an investor so that when the storms come, not if, but when that you can survive the storms and come out thriving on the other side. I like that. Let's, right? let's go there. But first, we must take our final evil profit. Break. Okay. All right. Stick around, everybody. We'll be right back. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. And you're listening to True Wealth on News Radio 93.9 FM at 1240 KQEN. All right, gang, welcome back to the home stretch of the True Wealth Radio Show. Reminder, if you're just getting uh, caught up, you can grab us on the podcast, right? Check mm -hmm. it out uh, on our webpage, littlejohnfs.com, under the Educate tab. And uh, we got all kinds of backlog stuff there, too. Um, we're, we're posting a blog now. So if you want to go find our – well, I've been doing a blog for, golly, like 12 years. Where can they find that? So it used to be just for advisors. Mm. And so I did a, a blog for years for uh, another company out there. I guess I can share what it is now. Um, if you go look for the website, you're not going to find it. And it's because we were running it as advisors, uh, and it was for advisors. And we just got to where we sort of ran out of bandwidth to do both. Mm. And so it started to evolve since then. Uh, and so we took it down from the advisor side, but it's but it still exists behind the scenes, and the group is still involved together. Uh, but it's called Bigfoot Investments, right? And I know it's just a funny name, and it had to do not with Bigfoot. It's because like one day you saw Bigfoot running down the road. It, it wasn't and, that. Um, 
it had to do with the founder of the company was six foot five and wore like a size 16 shoe and so somebody joked it? about him having a big foot and that's what is that really how that yeah, got, it really was maybe it's a 14 <laughs> yeah, he did he had big feet um he's a tall guy kind of slow speaking country boy but just um but yeah that was uh lee johnson from uh fort worth texas area mm. anyway nice guy well so bigfoot was founded back in 2010 i've been working with them for more than a decade and i've been uh blogging and working as a technical analyst all those years and talking with advisors all over the country and now we've started to publish and it's just a simple version but we started to publish some of the blog stuff that i used to do is now on our web page mm-hmm. and so if you want to go check it out it's there uh and again you can i think the comments are turned off on it so i you know you can find typos and stuff. It's literally something I, I put it together pretty quickly on purpose. The analysis is it's it's the graphic analysis and the technical stuff that's more important than the the words. But it's there if you want to see it. And so that's that's the story of our webpage. The end of the story here for our our program today, though, I want to give you guys. You know, the storms are going to come. Uh, we were just listening at the break, right? Saying what we're on the one of the longest down streaks in however many years for the nasdaq and the dow right like in six years like like the longest negative streak in six years that seems wacky but maybe that's accurate uh whatever the case it's it's been kind of an interesting slow slide back from we were up to 4200 we're back to 3900 so so three 300 s p points which is you know seven eight percent decline in the last three weeks that is not very fun to experience as an investor. Mm-mm. But I think this is what sort of tests us too. And so what are the things that we as investors need to look at? And I'm going to start with two biggies, strategy and tactics. Okay. And you can drill down into both of those. So strategy, Matt, what are some of the things that we consider in strategy as investors? Well, one of them would be what is the mission of the portfolio, right? So what am I really targeting? Am I targeting a portfolio that has really low risk and a low return? So you could you could look at what is the mission of the portfolio. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think another piece would be just looking at the time frame of how long you plan to be invested for. So if you know you're 70 years old and you plan to access the money in three years, maybe you know you keep that time frame in mind, right? Mm-hmm. So thinking about time frame and then the objective of yeah. the portfolio. We talk about there's kind of three phases of money. There's uh, now, later, and never. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so the now money, you don't invest that because if you need it now, or and now could be like in the next three to six months, even mm-hmm. uh, if it's if it's that short term. You're not really investing anymore because it has to be there, and you and you shouldn't be putting that at risk. So in that case, we don't invest periods that short uh, by definition. Mm-hmm. So I mean, if you're doing something with it, then you're taking on risk. That's not investing. That's speculating. And if you are, and I should just say that that's that's a, a mechanical definition. I'm going to just say that you know speculation is like, well, I'm really hoping that this is going to work out. Uh, investing is intended to develop value over over longer extended periods of time. So, like speculating and trading, how much risk? Okay, you know maybe you buy a CD. Okay, well you can invest for three months in a CD. Invest is now we're getting semantic on the definition. 
But the idea is that you don't take on risk in a period that short because if it's if the markets happen to be down when you need the money, you get damaged. Right. Okay. Uh, all of us want to take little risk and get big returns. Everybody wants that. It doesn't really work that way. There's always some kind of trade-off. You know, even the Bed Bath and Beyond story we talked about. Right. It's a big risk, right? I mean, oh yeah. Twenty-five million dollar bet. Yeah, you turn it into one hundred and ten million or whatever, uh, pretty fast. But that was a huge bet, right? When you put twenty-five million in at five fifty a share, and then it shoots up to fifteen. I mean, that was or twenty, right? I mean, great yeah. return. Like, wahoo! I mean, imagine but, if it had gone to four fifty a share. Right. Yeah. I mean, that was a, that was a lot of money at risk right there. Imagine if it had gone bankrupt and disappeared. That can happen. Which, okay? yeah, you know, Toys R Us, where are they? Right. Exactly. So you look at a story like that and you go, okay, well, it could have happened. And it didn't in this case. So we made a bunch of money. Great. But it was a big risk. Okay. So risk is going to define some of the, and, and strategy is, you know, how much risk are you willing to take? I have X number of dollars. I'm willing to let it fluctuate in value by this much. So if I had a hundred thousand, I'm willing to let it fall to 80,000 before I abandon my strategy. Okay, then you're willing to accept 20% of downside risk. Mm-hmm. Now, volatility is the fluctuation down with the expectation of recovery. The other is you may have a hard line where you said, like, if it goes down to 80,000, I'm done. Okay, that's actually different <laughs> because now you're putting a hard line in the sand where you say, if we get there, I'm going to change my strategy uh, and I'm going to I'm going to abandon it. And I'm going to like assure a loss. Okay, well that's that's a different animal too. So these can. These are part of your strategic decisions that are going to lead you to the path of what you should be investing in. So we talked strategy. What was the other piece of this? Tactics. Tactics. So what do you have in mind for a tactic? Well, tactics have to do with, um, and, and strategies to a certain extent too, there's some overlap in these terms. Like strategy is also, what am I willing to con- commit to equities versus fixed income versus mm-hmm. alternatives and so forth. Uh, and then That's a good the, one to know. The, the, but the tactics are, what are my rules of when I buy or sell? How many things do I, how diversified or concentrated am I willing to be? What uh, frequency am I going to look to make changes? Yeah, right? are you am looking I weekly? Am weekly or daily or hourly? I'm going to look at this all the time and bite my nails, right? Those are all going to influence the way you design and, and manage an investment strategy. I wonder how many um, less mistakes people would make if they... They figured out everything, and they said, "Yeah, I'm going to commit to it for a year." And then, so it would certainly impact it. Yeah, because um, what I'm really suggesting is that you build the equivalent of an investment policy summary mm-hmm. or statement. And the investment policy is: these are the rules by which I intend to invest. The reason this is important is because when you get into the thick of it, your emotions are going to start to to play with your brain. Okay. If you have rules to follow, then you can simply follow those even though your emotions are bothering you. And now you can look back later and say, how did the rules work, right? Mm -hmm. Did the rules work out or not? And I can judge my performance against the rules. If I don't use rules, then I have to judge my performance against luck because my emotions are gonna be contributing to the decisions and I can't reproduce those in a statistically valid way. So it's effectively luck. Yep, And it's like, you know, if I can be lucky every time, then maybe you just have a good emotional disposition, but unlikely because the studies have shown that the people that are the most successful investors tend to be sociopaths. Really? Really. They, they tend to make better risk reward decisions. 
Like even lab rats make better decisions than humans. Because at least if a lab rat, if like they, they gave them a test where it said like for, uh, they would get a reward, they push a lever. And uh, at first they gave the rat a reward like eight out of 10 times it pushed the lever, it got a reward. And then they changed it to 50-50 and the rats wasn't real happy about it. And then they changed it to 20-80 and the rats stopped doing it. But they did the same thing with people and they kept changing the odds and the people kept doing it, hoping for the reward. And so rats Hence, were quicker to recognize that the, the risk return wasn't there. I feel like proof of that is in casinos. That's right? literally what part of the study. Yeah. to sh show that you can incentivize behaviors that way. So there's a lot of gaming studies about human attention. And so we just need to be aware that your emotions are working against you most of the time. That's why I often say we're, we are our own worst enemies. That's why I have a committee when it comes to investing is to check my decisions and my emotions. And it's why we recommend that, uh, you know, your mind is a scary place. Don't go there alone. Not with investments. <laughs> so that's why I'm, I'm a fan of having professional consultation for everybody. What if someone needs someone to talk to and they're like, you know what? You're right. Just, I feel it, like you know what they should do, Matt. I think they should maybe give us a call. Okay. Let's. Uh, how do they do that? Ah, okay. 541-375-0898. All right, crew. Well, look, there. Uh, the music's playing, so we know it's the end of the show. But that is the takeaway here. So get the big rocks in the jar first. Make sure that you've got your strategy and tactics designed in advance. And bring in a ringer if you need help. And we can help if you don't have one. So give us a call at Little John Financial, 541-375-0898. Till next time, this is Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. And listen to the True Wealth. The preceding program was paid for by Little John Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees.